What's up, guys? Back with another Peace, Love, and Meat podcast episode. Sit down today with my friend Greg Walsh from Wolf Brigade. If you've listened to the podcast, you know who Greg is. If you follow Peace, Love, and Meat at all, you know who Greg is. And if you don't, I don't really know why you're listening to this podcast. But nevertheless, I'm excited to be recording again. If you followed along on the Instagram, you'll see that I've been writing more. I've been sharing more. I kind of found a direction that I'm I'm happy to go in. And, and before... I was a bit cautious just to be throwing content out to be throwing content out. I wanted to have something that was beneficial to the listener or the viewer. And um, I feel like this is a step forward in that direction. Couldn't be a better guest to start out. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a really great episode. There's some lighthearted moments. There's some deep and heavy stuff. But I think throughout there's valuable information. And as always, Greg's an amazing guest. He's articulate, well-spoken, and just brilliant. So hopefully you enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. All right, guys. The much requested Greg Walsh is back here with me. Um, and, and actually, I want to say a moment of thanks uh, for the request because as Greg and I talked a little bit about yesterday, uh, it's been a, it's been a little bit since we'd gotten on the phone together, and yesterday seemed like a timely reason to call. And then also knew we were going to be doing a podcast either today or sometime next week. But a lot of people have reached out and encouraged me to to fire the podcast back up somewhat. And like Greg and I were talking yesterday, um, I've just tried to be quiet a little bit, um, and not for any particular reason other than there's just a lot of noise, and I don't like to be grafted into comparison of other people that are making a lot of noise when I'm trying to make a lot of sense. And not that I'm trying to pat myself on the back as, as someone who knows it all, but I will question everything that I possibly can. And I think right now with so much misinformation, so much just oversaturation of information, um, I couldn't, I couldn't process it all fast enough to speak on it. So I just got quiet for a while. Um, and, and I know you've felt some of that. I know that uh, a lot of our people have felt some of that. There's a lot of people that have just, they're weathering some blows right now, man. But beyond all of that first, how you doing? And then you can maybe delve into some of that thought. Yeah. You know, (laughs) um, similar, I think quiet, not dormant is how I think about us and how I think about most of our people. I know a lot of times, when I don't see someone super active, that they're just they're just running the background processes. It, they're just not talking about it every day, and and we're, we're very similar. I try and stay connected on a daily basis with even things like little stories on the Instagram and things like that, and I, I enjoy that, and our people enjoy it. But but as you said, I mean, you kind of have to pick and choose right now, or you're just going to get lost in the noise, and anything you say is going to continue to be taken for granted. Because right now, anytime anyone has a thought that has a beginning and an ending, they want to share it on the internet, whether it's cohesive, whether it's complete, whether it's useful to anyone in the world, it is really doesn't even seem to be a factor right now. It, it's simply they want to share something for the sake of sharing something. Um, and it's a tough it's a tough trap because we care about our audience and we want to stay connected with them. And, and just the same as you is so much of our audience is remote that I'm not going to get FaceTime with them, you know, every month or anything like that. But at the same time too, they always know that we're there. People reach out all the time. As you mentioned too, we get so much positive communication about, about the less frequent, but hopefully strong messages that we send more than if we sent 15 messages a week or 15 posts a week. And, and, you know, only three of them were really high quality. 
Um, so I, 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 of course, agree with I agree with your assessment there and, and your course of action on it. Um, how are we doing? We're OK. Um, you know, no one no one in small to medium sized commerce is enjoying this time. And the smaller the commerce, the, the harder the screws are turning. And, you know, I, I'm the first one to always admit that my life is extremely unusual in the sense that, like, if I had a giant house and a big family to pay for and all this kind of stuff, my decision making on all this shit would have to be completely different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've always I've always known that things were going to be a challenge. And and, you know, I've, I've built our framework around that. So now that they really are we're at least able to weather the storm, whether we're able to really uh, excel during it. I guess that's, that's where I'm, I'm really critical, critical of us, but um, we're, we're, we're upright. Uh, we're, we're working hard. Uh, we're making less than we ever have uh, and working harder than we ever have. Um, but you know, we're not going to, we're not going to fold to this or, or anything else. Well, that's something I wanted to kind of back up to, you know, you, you have the, the idea that preparation is not paranoia. That's one of your kind of like, launchers that I see repeated throughout your process and your work. March of 2020, when really things began to, to evolve into a different thing, whenever the, the shutdowns began, the lockdowns began, this is something that you and I were talking about very seriously, even then, um, just as a conversation piece, not really even knowing the scope of what was. But I think one of the problems that is almost mandated to, and it's funny to say the word mandate in this day and age, but like it's almost mandatory for a small business owner to be thinking a year or two in advance. And right now, you know, we were just talking about a business owner that had to shut his doors recently. And it's like, people are so on their heels. They're just trying to get through the end of the week. They're just trying to get through payroll. They're just trying to get through the next phase. So this long-term focus is not necessarily something that people are, are teaching themselves or thinking about, um, you know, as a, as a regular thing. But it's always been a part of your your fabric. So how do you think your preparation really has evolved during this time? Do you think it's allowed you to stay stable during this time? I mean, I guess that what I'm really looking at is for somebody that's out there with a small business, it's always going to have to work harder than the, than the next guy. It's always going to have a little bit different, maybe deeper feel type product. How do you go about like preparing yourself for the worst that may come? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I mean, you know, the the the... the, the the kind of shitty answer to that is you, you gotta, you gotta take some blows uh, to understand that they're not going to stop because if you didn't expect the ones you already took, it's impossible to expect the ones that are coming next. All you can do is forecast. Mm-hmm. And so when we were talking about this, the March of, of whenever this nonsense began, it was already clear to those that were looking that there was massive levels of deception going on. And realistically, when anyone is trying to divide people and limit access and force control, you know that what's going to start trickling down is, is things in commerce and, you know, hateful speech from people that don't know what they're talking about or why that are just looking to deride um, and, and, you know, kind of just derail others. We've felt that a lot way prior to any of this. I've felt this quite a bit in my entire life. Most of the unconventional things I've done have been met with quite a bit of resistance and, and, you know, definitely not trying to paint us as any sort of like survival superheroes, but at any given point with any of the projects that I've run since like 1995, even when I started booking shows and and doing things like that for, for weird money, um, none, none of it was, none of it was without hiccups and, 
you know, vitriol and, and animosity from a bunch of people who didn't understand it or didn't like it or anything like that. So the, the preparedness element of what we do is always the fact that my backup plan includes the fact that I'm probably going to fuck a bunch of things up, but that at some point someone else is also going to try and get us. Mm-hmm. And th- that's not a super healthy way to think about things. It, it's pretty stressful, but you also do settle into just the fact that that's background noise. You know, what people do, what people say, if you, if you let it overtake everything, it interrupts both how you're executing your process, which is the most important thing. It, it impacts the, the confidence of those around you that you're trying to keep invested in your brand or your process or whatever. Um, and it just makes you angry and grumpy, but you also can't totally ignore it because ju- just like we're seeing now on a much, much larger scale where it's the government and the media trying to take us out. We've had a lot of experience with this, with, with smaller groups and independent people and, and, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, associates that we've had that have really just turned coat on us at the wrong times and, and compromised us a lot. Um, so you kind of have to expect the unexpected and that's a pretty canned answer. Um, but the unexpected has to be looked at as undermining. Someone is going to try and take what you have. And unless you can stop them, then they're going to take it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't love that idea because it feels a little bit confrontational. But, you know, once you've had something taken from you that you didn't want to give up, you learn that that's the only way to do it. Well, I wondered, you know, that's funny that you say confrontational because I was almost, you know, the Internet will have you believe that that the business world is this weekend crash course that you can somehow just go to pay thousands of dollars and then you'll come back a, a mogul. You know, um, but I've always I've always looked at the things that I've done, the projects that I've done very much in that way is like I don't really want to do anything that is just status quo. Like usually some of the stuff that I that I've done in the past or articles that I've shared or whatnot have somewhat wanted to kick the door in on the status quo. And I know a lot of your stuff falls into that as far as the artistic drafting, the, the ideas of your training. Um, just even the way that you carry yourself, the way that you run your gym, you do have this, uh, you know, as one of the nicest guys, I say this, this word confrontation factor about you that it's like, you're welcome until you're not kind of thing. And you'll bear all until you shame what you see kind of thing. Like you, you are one of the most giving people, but also one of the most serious people I've ever met in that everything that you do has a calculated thought behind it. And I think that that's one of the strongest things that I could advise anyone to learn from you is like how seriously you take the things that you do. That's one of the reasons that I step myself back from even really coaching that much. You know, if, if I find someone that I, I believe I can help in a strength factor or maybe it's like some weight loss or something, but I really, I had to look hard at myself at what I called myself a coach after I saw the way that you write your training, after I saw the way that you coach your athletes, it challenged me to be better. And it's, I've somewhat removed myself so that when I do reintroduce myself, I'm better for it. And on a business front, I think too many people, instead of like cutting their own teeth and finding their own way, they just try to stay carbon copies of everything that they've seen before. So everything kind of gets dumbed down. But being hyper individualistic, having very, very detailed thought pro- processes behind your programs, behind your products and everything else, how taxing is that on you to always be in that confrontation type mindset where it's, it's, it, you know, it's not do or die, but it is do or die, you know? Yeah. 
man, there's, there's so much there. I'll jump to the middle first is I think a lot of times when people are new to business or if they're looking at business as, um, as an overarching umbrella and not a singular thing, um, then what they're looking at is this success and the quickest route to the success and not the detail orientation of the process. And that could be coaching. That could be running a subway restaurant. It doesn't make any difference. If the end game is the payoff, then you're going to lose a lot of the process and all of the expertise gained in those gritty moments of just having to figure things out. Um, and, and really that was, that was where, you know, the, the extremely unusual and, and largely unsuccessful business career that I've had ha- has really, you know, primed us for challenges because once you've failed a few times, when you thought you had something figured out, you have to step back. And, and you had just mentioned that too. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's such a kind thing to say. And, and w- with me, I've realized that when I detail obsess on things that I care about, um, I can figure them out to a degree that I'm comfortable putting them out to others. But until I do that, I don't. And, and it really, it really comes back to a line we've used a lot too, which is that I'd rather fail than suck. Um, I've, I've failed before and we've moved through it. Um, but we have never in, in, you know, near a long time of business. I'm not, I don't know the math from 1995. Um, we, we've made a few missteps, but we've never done a project that sucked. We've, we've never put out a product I wasn't happy with. Um, we've had customer service foibles and things like that because every business does. Um, but, but that seriousness that you mentioned is, is, is just, you know, I, I, I credit an awful lot to just the things I looked at when I was growing up and how hard people with nothing worked to present what they had with as much quality as they possibly could, no matter what, you know, if there was a show in a basement and a band drove 14 hours to play in that basement, at the very least, people were trying to make sure that everything was as good as it could possibly be. The band still played a hundred percent like they were playing the fucking Ritz, you know, and, and, you know, it's the same, it was the same thing with any type of like little BMX event I went to or anything like that, like the showmanship and, and the, and the detail orientation, stuck with me forever. I never wanted to do anything but that. Um, so when it started becoming obvious that, that what I wanted to do is, is help people in a different way than I had before. And, you know, 20, 20 something years ago that that turned into, into training and strength and conditioning, there was, there was no, um, way around the fact that it was going to be a serious undertaking and learning martial arts from many of the people that I have, the ones that are the best teachers are the ones that maintain humility and approachability and all this type of stuff, but they run a hard and accurate room. Mm-hmm. Um, if class starts at 10 AM, it starts at 10 AM. You know, if, if you wander in at 15 after 10, you're going to get hazed. You know, if you come in at three minutes after 10, you're going to get a side eye. And, and it's not, it's not a control issue. It's a quality issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, when, when I think about, the, the importance of specificity, whether it be seriousness, whether it be looked at as slightly confrontational. It also circles back to a lot of the biggest missteps that we've had. A lot of the biggest setbacks that we've had have been with people that I've really, really trusted simply ghosting us or, you know, really kind of taking advantage of us at the wrong times. Mm-hmm. And me having to, you know, pull my adult pants back up and, and realize that, okay, this was terrible. It compromised things I didn't have. It cost me money I didn't have. It cost me what I always hope is not the case is the trust of the people that are working with us. Um, 
you know, and, and once you've done that a few times, you realize that you have to put you have to put a pretty hard line in the sand between what you'll accept and what you won't. And the sliding scale of what we will accept is, is anything that falls into people's personal idiosyncrasies that they do not have control over. If someone is having trouble learning something, um, if someone's having trouble just absorbing a detail or applying a detail, but they're, they're trying, they're diligently trying, we are patient until the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we've gotten so many really, really normal people so far in training is, is the fact that I will tinker until, until they're done. You know, until they're ready to walk out the door, I will figure something out and fix it. Um, But there's also there's also times where that line is drawn in the sand and that's just the end of the story. You know, if 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 the board says 30 seconds and the scheme is written appropriately that you are not going to get injured during that 30 second hold duration, the whole duration is 30 fucking seconds. And that is it. And, and, And really what that boils down to is it's accountability for us. And it's accountability for them because if you'll cheat an elective group strength and conditioning class, you will cheat yourself in, in other areas of your life for sure, 100%. Well, I think that touches on a point that, that we wanted to go down this road somewhat anyway in, in the fact of like how things have changed within the climate and culture of American society. You know, the lack of accountability, the forced acceptance of everyone just based on everything. You know, it, it, we've gotten so, you know, far into this space where we have to appreciate, accept and respect people just because they want us to, rather than being a good person or a decent person, having value to a group or to, to, uh, to a business, let's say, and then also bringing something to the table. Like what happened to earning your acceptance? What what happened to earning your respect? And even yesterday, I was really, I was kind of having this thought, you know, I was, I was looking at this woman and she was a big, big body acceptance person uh, a few years ago. And she had, she's lost a tremendous amount of weight, but five years ago, it was like this body positive, um, you know, body acceptance thing. And she was extremely overweight and, and kudos to her for losing weight. But it's like, when she wasn't ready to make the change or the shift, she wanted everybody to value and appreciate her for what she was, even though she didn't herself. And now that she's lost this weight, it's like, you can do this too, you know? And it's like, now she's hoping for acceptance and reward because she did the thing. I think that part of the problem is that self-acceptance is a good thing. Like you have to accept what you are, where you are and, and how you've been, but that doesn't mean it qualifies you to stay the same. You know, I'm a huge believer in the fact that nothing in life is stationary. You're either progressing towards something or regressing away from something. And this acceptance thing just is kind of like, well, I am what I am and you have to like it. Well, that's never, ever worked in all of humankind. Like that, that (laughs) philosophy of just general acceptance and, and I, I don't know where it, where it specifically comes from, it has to be somewhat rooted in the everyone gets a trophy participation kind of thing. I, I mean, but, it, it, it just covers the earth in a sea of mediocrity. For sure. And, and self-awareness and self-acceptance, perfect. We, we celebrate those things in people tremendously. We, we, we prioritize them in ourselves, but they have to be hard-minded. If, if, I'm, if I'm looking at myself and, and I'm critical thinking and I'm saying, okay, where am I coming up short right now? Um, 
I mean, one of the, one of the things for me is, is, you know, based on a handful of different factors, my productivity level right now is not what I'm used to out of myself. And I'm very, very critical of it. Put me in the fucking ground the day that I just say, well, you know, I'm not really that productive right now, but you know, like my back hurts a little bit and I'm a little bit tired and like, you know, my left shoe's untied and you know, I don't know, the cat's fussy and whatever. That, that's just not how it works, right. you know? And, and, and a way that we've phrased that in the past in posts and also just in, in language to our people in, in training and stuff is contribute or vacate. And, and really that boils down to me to, to anything. Um, any, any worthwhile group that you're in, or, or even if you want to consider society as a whole should be this kind of voluntary elective meritocracy. Oh yeah. You, 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 you should, you should be bringing something to the table that's actually helping improve someone else. Um, you know, I've seen a couple excellent, uh, iterations of, of the concept of being far less anti and far more pro what, 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 what are you not? What aren't you? Right. And, and I, I really, that's been, that's been really resonating with me a lot. And, you know, it would be easy to sit around and, and talk about how shortcoming we are with, with so many things. Um, but we don't have to do that, but we do have to know that. Right. And I think, I think that's an important distinction too, is, is when people are just, are just self-accepting to the point of just, of just blanket toleration of anything that comes across their path. Um, one, it's just too many people peeing in the same pool. No, nobody's going to advance if people do not hold each other to standards. And they, and then I think the most challenging thing there is not turning that into a judgmental game. Yeah. Um, because everybody can be judgmental towards someone for something, but it takes more maturity and encourages more progress for people to just accept certain things and then hold people accountable for the stuff that they can improve. Um, I do that with our people here. They do that with me. Um, you know, the people that we know remotely from, from just training and things like that, we're good at that. If, if someone in our circle is doing something that we know that they can improve, we do it kindly, but we're going to tell them, you know, yeah. we're not going to be like, yeah, that half squat hinge fucking kettlebell swing amalgamation on your toes is pretty good, man. Uh, we're going to say, well, no, let's do it this way so that it's heavier, safer, and we're actually able to standardize some details that'll help you improve. It may not always be what people want to hear, um, but I mean, really, <laughs> as as we've talked about, it's what people need to hear yeah. because look where we are now that we're going in the other direction so far. Well, on the terms of, of what people need to hear and what people are wanting to hear, throughout the throughout my messages, I am constantly... I'm actually impressed with the the level of thought that people reach out with the, the level of conversation that people approach me with. And that's part of the reason why I've started to post a little bit more. I've started to share a little bit more because I am starting to find these common bonds of people who are just sick of the way that things are. They're sick of having feelings or thick. They're sick of having opinions. And I'm not just saying like grab out of the air and just, you know, like regurgitate kind of opinions. These are, these are smart people. These are challenged people who, who look at things full spectrum and, and different facets on certain situations. And they're just tired of being quiet. You know, they're tired of, and, and in some cases even being silenced. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you think about someone like myself, you know, I represent several brands. I represent, represent Sornex or Volkortsen Firearms or Monster or whoever I've worked with. And it's like, 
you almost, or I have almost allowed myself to be put under a, a microscope of my own. And I'll have things typed out that I really, really believe things that I really considered and felt. And they're not hateful. They're not racist or sexist or anything like this. Of course. But if someone looks at these things in a certain light, they're challenging. You know, they're challenging. They're challenging to what what they are, which is, in my opinion, oftentimes, not to say you know that it's it's any one particular group, but sometimes we, as we talked about yesterday, I'm not trying to stab you in the face to make you see what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to put a barb in your shoes so that you catch yourself and before you take another step. And that's yeah. the thing because everything that I post is in some way, shape, or form in regards to what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, or what I need to improve on myself. It's actually somewhat of a public accountability. If I tell other people like, hey, you can do better, get up and make your bed and go train and do the right things. Well, if I'm not doing those things, I'm falling short of my own message. So my page is somewhat a living testimony of how I live my life and how I go about things. If people follow along with that, great, but it's not it's not a blueprint to follow because I can I, I perpetually fuck up. But as far as like saying the things that I feel, I really have been at, at odds with myself because I, I value the t- the time that I put into thinking about things, and then I share them with no one. You know, they just become these thoughts that get jotted down in a journal. Which some of that is good, but I think that there are more people ready to stand up with a similar message of strength, of doing the right things, being good to other people. Um, but not accepting the bullshit either. I think that there's a lot of people that are just willing to maybe be a little bit more vocal about their own opinion, not to inflame, but just to state, you know? Well, it's, it, it's such a vital component of, of being a thinking human being. And, you know, when, when it comes to the soap, the soapbox concept, I've, I've often thought about it as there are people that stand on the soapbox and then there's the people that build the soapbox. I want to build the soapbox. Sure. And and when it when it comes down to the sharing of opinions and, and you know, diversity and things like that, <laughs> being able to quiet a nation in fear based on being hazed on the Internet or having your business impacted or something like that over your opinion. And I mean, listen, I'm the first one to admit that if your opinion is just evil minded and hateful and harmful, you should still be able to express it, but you should expect to be crucified for it. Mm-hmm. But but when your opinion is just your opinion and it's maybe different than others, but it isn't engineered to harm anyone else. The fact that people are feeling like they can't even speak that is 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 profoundly dangerous in ways that we're only beginning to now see. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, people are coming out of the woodwork now that have been quiet for several years. And where are we now? We're behind the eight ball now, like like a giant eight ball now. And I guess one of the other troubles with that is it, it, it actually reverse engineers everything that the proponents of that type of limiting want to accomplish. It puts people in <laughs> more crosshairs, not less. It, yeah. it puts people in, in, in more fear of new ideas, not less. It, it's not enlightening anyone. Um, it, it's stifling people and, and often, and I can only use us as an example, the ways that we were squashed and attacked the hardest is because I will help anyone at any time if I believe that they're a good person trying to help other people. Sure. And in, in the same way that, that there's, there's 
groups of people that I know and many that I respect that are not fans of how much I work with law enforcement. Um, there are there are groups of people in in other respects that that you know are critical of other people I work with or something like that. And I don't give a fuck. And yeah. and and the reason that I don't is because if I've vetted them, then I'm comfortable with exactly what I'm doing. And I'm not I don't have to scream about it from the rooftops, but one thing I could encourage people to do is, is if you can sit with yourself and say, this opinion that I have or this perspective that I have is valuable, um, it, it's something that I think others could benefit from, and it's what I truly feel, pass it on. Yeah. If you can't sit with yourself and say that, then, then keep it quiet until you can. Um, but, but saying nothing right now is, is, the worst, is the worst choice. It's the worst choice, in my opinion. I agree. And I think that, um, and I think for a while, just, I mean, just to speak on like your, yourself, you know, you've got a small business, you say some really, really challenging things. You say some hard things in very, very intelligent ways. And it's like, if somebody misconstrues any one of those things in any type of way, even, even if it's just like an ember, it's not even a full blown fire. If it's just something small, man, that stuff can catch really, really quick because people love that mob mentality. They love to pounce on, but mm-hmm. I also I also don't want to focus strictly on how bad it is because I you know I talk to people you talk to people we see it yeah. I'm hearing people struggling and stuff I think the the important point of my message your message is that you have to get better you have to get stronger you have to get sharper and smarter you have to find ways to evolve through this so somewhat you know really I, th- I think somewhat still in the midst of it I don't even think we're coming to an end of this thing in anytime soon I mean from a financial standpoint alone things look pretty grisly for the next few months but what would you recommend if you were to just sit down and maybe talk to someone and you're looking them in the face and saying man this is what I would focus on if I were you just as a general human like what how are you sharpening your spear right now <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've had to think about this a lot because I'm definitely not at my best right now. And, and, and I have to be, um, and I, I, I made a quick, I made a quick note. I think about this in the stories maybe last year, but I think a lot about, about small manageable daily enemies. Like w- what is on my mind that I can omit that is just sitting there taking up space, but not doing me any good. And there's a lot more of it than we think. And, and for me, that that's helped me whittle down some stuff that I, I was really just putting too much emotional energy into. I would bring stuff home from the gym. I'd be hyper obsessing about what this person said uh, in terms of their training or something like that. Or if I noticed something that I wanted to, you know, kind of focus group or something like that. But at a certain point, you got to quiet that noise or it just overwhelms you all the time. Um, and, and what it was starting to become to me was was. Um, as I've been dealing with a, a bunch of discomfort and, and dysfunction and things like that, it was, it was almost a safety net to just keep my mind busy. But what it was doing is keeping my mind from other things that were much more valuable and much more important. Um, so if, if, if there was one tiny simple thing, it's j- just like you would a grocery list. Once you've put the thing in the cart, cross that thing off and, and, and take it off your plate. Um, because really it's, it's just sitting there taking up space. Well, one of the things that I, we talked about briefly yesterday that I wanted to touch on was when I was in Argentina, you know, um, I was really like when that, when that trip evolved, um, towards the end of March, I was very, very focused on staying abreast of like the latest stuff with Ukraine and Russia. I was reading about the, the economy. I was reading about fuel prices, you know, and it was just, it was, it's a very dangerous thing to be a thinker because you want to acquire information. Well, 
oversaturation of information just leads to confusion. <laughs> so I was just, I was in this wormhole of negativity and, and just all the sensationalism that American news media is at this point. So I go to Argentina and I was in multiple places around the country down there. Uh, I was in Buenos Aires. I was in La Pampa, which is a very kind of rural farm country area. And then I was down in Bariloche, which is very much a, a it's like the Europe of South America. It's a very, very progressive, not, I wouldn't say so much a touristy area as much as like people have duality where they live in Europe and they, they holiday there or whatnot. So okay. wide variety of people. And in every single place, what I noticed, I, I love going to cafes and I love going to restaurants and stuff and sitting on the corner and I'm a people watcher, you know, it's part of a part of who I am. I like to, to watch people move. I like to watch people, how they act. And every single time without fail, when people would sit down to a meal or a coffee or a glass of wine, the phones went down. If it was a young man and woman, maybe a couple, hands were held, eye contact was made, conversation was constant. And I mean, for someone who was, you know, you, you go to an American restaurant, you look around and you got four people in a family and all four of them are doing different things yeah. on different phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not to say that, that their way is necessarily better. I mean, if those four people are looking up something very valuable, then more power to them. But I don't know that they ever look up anything valuable and I know they don't probably talk about it, you know, but it was yeah. just interesting to me that I saw a country full of people that were seemingly happy. Inflation is out of control down there. The government is more corrupt than ours by a long shot, but the people didn't seem so impacted by it. So I was talking to Pablo and he was somewhat my concierge kind of a liaison for, for information for me. And he was like, but it's always been this way. The government has always been against the people. The people have always been wise enough to realize it's not me versus my neighbor. It's my neighbor and I versus them. So there's a very strong unity amongst the people there. And I can tell you, I didn't watch the news. I didn't keep up with the, the Ukraine Russia deal. I didn't, I didn't keep up with much of that. And it was amazing within the time that I was there, just a little over a week, that my whole feeling about everything changed. Like I felt so much more positive and so much more happy. And I wonder what your opinion is on that versus is that denial or no. is it or is it just selected programming to where the things that were available to me were more important than the shit I can't change? Well, and, and ignorance is always a tough word to use, but but in, in my mind, and I think about it often, is it's self-preservation based ignorance. There is some stuff that, although I could be criticized for it, I simply don't want to know about. Right. Um, it, it's going to impact me. There's not a damn thing that I can do about it. And all it's going to do right now is stress me out and probably impact how I'm treating others. So, so no, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to compartmentalize that stuff to the point of almost omitting it from your scheme. If, if I see that stuff every day, I think about it every day. I, I mean, I think we're similar in that way. I don't blow things off well. Yeah. So, so in, in some respects, if I know something is going to get me somewhere that I don't want to be, then I just omit it. You know, I, I'm, I'm selectively ignorant about it. And, and I, I don't think that that's been a bad plan for me. I mean, I, I, I learn things that I need to learn. People send me things, people that I trust send me things that I need to see. And, and that, that would be, that would be relevant. Um, and, and it's great, but, but, you know, in the last however many months, years, um, <laughs> the amount of negative versus the amount of positive that people send is so tremendous that if you, if you don't mitigate it yourself, it could easily overwhelm you and impact the quality of what you're doing in the rest of your life. And, and to, to your point of, of, of sitting down there and, and watching how people interact, 
I mean, I think the proof is, is in our, is in our country right now. The proof is in our society right now. You know, we've talked about this too, but imagine if your first exposure to critical thinking was six months after the government told you to stay in your home, uh, stay away from your neighbors and wear a mask while you were doing anything other than having a drink. Mm-hmm. If, if your introduction to critical thinking is, is any of this engineered to actually help me? Right. Imagine how upside down you'd have been for the last two years. And so, so I, I, I really, <laughs> I have a sympathy for, for people that had lived some relatively automated lives and are just now learning to think about things in a somewhat subversive way. But it has always been really obvious that other countries that have actually had to deal with troubles of this nature for a longer period of time are so much better equipped for it. Yeah. I mean, America's self-destructed because realistically, even the worst parts of this country, and of course, exceptions to the rule, you know, the poverty here is ridiculous. There's a lot of ridiculousness going on here. America is an easy place to live. For sure. And 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 that that's that can't be ignored. Um, the, the, the easier the life, um, the harder it is to adapt when things get challenging. I think one of the, the issues that I see perpetuated here is that individuality has become so much more a you know a battle cry than the collective, um, to the point that it, it, what you're what you're getting is what you're seeing. I mean, uh, or what you know what we're what we're doomed to see is what we've been given, which is everyone is made to feel special. Everyone is told that their feelings are are most important, and everyone thinks that because you see. Or, or because you feel a certain way that that automatically dictates that you're entitled to what you feel. And, and the thing, the problem with that is that's just, that's just not a natural order of the way things work. And you can tell someone right away. I mean, you can right away when you're having a, an engaged discussion with someone, the louder their voice becomes rather than their deeper expression of fact, you know what I mean? Like, someone's control of their information is only as good as what they can control their emotions. You know, I I just don't see people arguing perpetually with information. A lot of times it is just emotion and they don't have an explanation for why they feel that way. It's just like they've joined up on team, whatever, and they're just going to regurgitate the same things that everyone else is regurgitating. I actually made a post about it today. Um, You know, the lions, not sheep kind of thing. Well, the lion rhetoric is almost, and I'm not saying it for all, but you have these people who like think that the sheep are just these mindless wonders, you know, aiming towards the cliff and going over. Well, there are many people that represent that lion mentality or that lion figure in that statement that are just blindly following the opposite of of what the sheep are following, you know, like without, without question, without hesitation, you know, you don't have to dwindle it down to what these people are saying, but it's like, they're, they're no better. They're all cut from the same cloth. And I think that's one thing that this country really, if I could hope for anything as far as solving the problem here, it would be first admitting that the ends of the stream extremes are really just the completion points of the circle. You know, like the middle of the middle of the people really, I don't really think our politics come into play too much. We just want to be able to pay our bills, raise our kids, you know, have a little money for vacations and the things that we want to do, like yeah. that's, that's probably 80% of Americans, but it's that 10% and maybe even more so that one to 2% of the extremes that are just the loudest, most vocal, that are the most distracting. 
but the sides of the center are starting to evolve away from the middle to where that people that have differing opinions, you and I, we talked about this, you and I very much the same roots, but we have different buds to the flower. You know, we are, we are two totally different people. There's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of, of individuality there. But I find that even with people that I know the majority of our, our feelings and beliefs would parallel, we don't have the conversations based on the few things that we don't are, are agree upon. You of know, course. And, and I think more and more people are falling into that category. We're, we're getting into information vacuums. Well, I, I, think, I think about it as anti for the sake of itself is no better than pro for the sake of a group or a media outlet or a political party or anything like that. And I, I think that goes along with what you're saying, uh, which right now, I mean, it is so dogmatic to think about being different than anyone because it's no longer a fun conversation. It's almost an immediate argument or they're trying to figure out a way to take advantage of you or limit you or something like that. And par part of the problem, I, I believe, is that individuality and personal identity ha has been made into this God. It's been kind of manifested into this, this like false deity. And you can really easily tell that by some of the just straight up corruption that is going on in public schools and in competitive sports and all this different stuff. And, and I think something else that I've, I've, I've been trying to think about the cleanest way to phrase this is that oftentimes the heightened emotion or the, you know, I guess the, the flagrancy of the scenario that information is presented in will make it sound more convincing or less convincing. If someone is screaming something and they're very, very passionate about it, certain people are going to be like, damn, they must be serious. Others are going to be like, why are they screaming? If they could just say that with a normal tone of voice and be much more convincing. Right. The way I think about it is if we really start stating certain things in very basic ways, they sound so insane that anything outside of the last 18 months would never even permit it. Right. You know, like for example, if, if I were to say, um, very, very young children should not be taught anything sexual in a public school. When you say that with like a perfectly normal intonation, no screaming, no yelling, no politicizing, it sounds utterly bananas. Much in the same way that you would say men should not be allowed to compete against women in sports take the politicizing out of it, take any highs and lows out of it. It just sounds nuts. Right. So I think a lot of times right now, what people are finding is that this, this cult of identity, this cult of individuality is, is, has turned from something that was so, so valuable. I mean, individuality and, and, and interesting people and, and charismatic creative people are what made everything we love, what we love. Mm-hmm but they weren't so married to those ideas that they were willing to use them to harm others. Exceptions noted, of course. Yeah. But like now what we're finding is, is anyone that feels strongly enough about their personal identity will use it to wreck or influence or propagandize anyone that will listen simply because they feel that that's some type of new God given right. And, and to me that, that is, 
the most disrespectful thing that a human being can do to another human being. Well, it, 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 like you said, in, in many ways you're striving, maybe striving is, is the wrong word, but the presentation that you're striving for this equality or this unity is actually being pushed the opposite direction by the fact that, you know, it's, it's all being forced. It's not being, there, there aren't being problems that are solved. There aren't being questions that are answered. It's really just like, okay, you're this group of people, you're a minority, you have to be accepted and liked based on that. Rather than saying, man, if, if as a group of people, and I'm, if you can insert this into any, any facts, you know, facet of people that you want, man, instead of just accepting and saying, we have to approve of this because what if it was like, as a group of people, we are going to do the best that we absolutely can. I mean, like whether that's a business, whether that's a race, whether that's a sex, whether it's whatever it is, just having people that are willingly committed to, you will not be able to say these things about me with a straight face because everything I am is in spite of those things. I am great in spite of this thing. I am, you know, intelligent in spite of these things. I'm wealthy in spite of these things. And you, you raise these people up. I'm talking about myself here. Like I'm talking about myself right. included. I want to be infallible, you know, I want to, I want to make myself into something that is, you know, criticism will always be there. But when people criticize that, I want people to laugh. I want people to be like, that's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. But what is happening is, these, these perpetuating beliefs are starting to become more prominent, you know, where people are starting to point the finger again, like people that have never pointed a finger in their life are now starting to point fingers. And it's, mm -hmm. it's socioeconomic, it's racial, it's sexism. It's all of these things because it's just pushed down your throat. And I even, I even spoke to you about a situation with my son and I, and I won't detail everything about that, but it yeah. was, it was a very difficult situation that he was put in at 14 years old, trying to understand the evolution of something in real time with that's as sensitive as someone else's gender and trying to understand how in one case, um, this person identified a certain way and in another case, very short time later identified as another. And he referred to them as the wrong one at the wrong time. And it became a very serious situation for me as a, I mean, as a parent, it's a very difficult thing to, to help him navigate because all I would say is this person had an opportunity to educate you and they lashed out at you for your mistake. You didn't hate this person. You weren't, you know, evil spirited towards this person. And even, even the school system involved, like they, they pretty much reiterated that. Like it was nothing, it was nothing bad said. It was just a mistake based on the timing of the situation, you know? And, I don't know how to help him get through that because I think there's a responsibility. Like, look at you. You have tattoos. I have tattoos. That is going to bring me a certain kind of look from certain people. It's going to bring comments from a certain type of people. But if I sit there and I reinvigorate their their belief about what a tattooed person is and I scream at them and I tell them to fuck off and I, you know, whatever, if I act like what they expect me to act like, then they're not going to change. But if I say, you know, what is it about my tattoos in particular that you're not fond of or whatever it is? I mean, there's a, there's an opportunity that if you're if you're going to stand out or you're going to be different or you're going to have things that are challenging to the status quo, you sometimes have to have a little bit stronger back to be able to carry that load and face down whatever confrontation you have. 
Well, you, and I mean, I, I think, again, all I can ever use is myself as an example, but the, the, the reality of it is um, th- those are shoes I've been walking in since I was a young boy. I mean, I've been on extremely unconventional paths in extremely normal places, and that has led to massive amounts of animosity and judgment and violence and all this other different stuff. And, and you learn that sometimes if you're going to make challenging choices, one, you have to be able to support and defend them respectfully when necessary and otherwise when necessary. Um, but the, the best way to do any of that is to make sure that you're living the best possible way you can, being the best example that you can be of those things and allowing people to kind of get a hold of the fact that there's maybe more to it than they would think in a very, very positive way. Not this, not this mystified anti-unity way that people are handling their individualism now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 none of this is geared towards an overarching unity, um, whether it be governmental, whether it be, whether it be, you know, how people are identifying, whether it be any, any of this hot button stuff right now it, is not geared to unity. It's geared to personal victory. And it, it's as obvious as day versus night but people are missing it. P- people think that the clamoring is because people are being, um, you know, marginalized and all this kind of stuff. Well, they're self marginalizing because no matter what their idiosyncrasy is, it doesn't matter if you're Barney, the purple dinosaur, or if you identify as a rabbit, or if you want to compete in bullfighting, but you're a dog, it does not matter. N- nothing about it matters. If you act like a total fucking asshole, no one is going to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the trouble, I think, has been people have adopted the he who yells the loudest goes the furthest mindset at the exact wrong time in history. Mm-hmm. Because right now, everyone who yells loud is going to be seen on the Internet and they feel like they have some sort of credible platform or power. And that is just the most dangerous thing, man. And, and when you when you talked about the family of four sitting at the table text messaging, I've gotten super critical of myself because the reality is, and I know you're the same part of my lifeline is communicating with people on this stupid little robot. For sure. And I I, I get tired of it daily. And I saw an excellent post from one of our friends who was yesterday or the day before, just about if you leave the phone on the table, do you have a draw, like an inclination to just go pick it up, whether it's off or whether it's on or whatever? And the answer is yes. Yes. And so you think about you think about people that have that, but that haven't identified that they have that, how tethered they are to the opinions that they get on that phone, how tethered they are to the attention they get on that phone. And if what they're finding is that right now, because everyone is looking at the wrong stuff, their attention meter goes up when they say inflammatory stuff about a group or a person or something else. Well, they're going to keep doing it. Sure. You know, if, 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 the, if the world and especially America keeps rewarding bad behavior, the behavior is only going to get worse because why wouldn't it? Well, I, I think there's a point and I don't know if this is an actual factual proven thing, but I, I do think there is some credibility to this statement. Um, Andrew Schultz is a comedian and he was actually pointing it out. And that's where I first started to read about it. But in China, TikTok is geared to reward kids that have excellence in mathematics or engineering. You know, it, there, there's algorithm rewards excellence of education, of, you know, creativity and, and thinking about like how to do a, a puzzle a different way or whatnot. So those things are shown 
in a, in a viral type way. Whereas here you're rewarded for dancing or you're rewarded for all these other little things. And I mean, and they're cutesy and they're innocent enough, but it's distractionary. Right. And Sometimes. Get, yeah, well, exactly. That's the yeah. thing is yeah, you've yeah. got to be careful because yeah, there, there's some very subversive stuff going on that looks innocent that is far from. But yeah. when you think about that and how susceptible we are to it, just because we're so immersed in it, you know, we're so immersed in it as far as, I mean, I'm, I'm just the same as you. I loathe my phone as much as I am dependent upon it because I don't give everyone my phone number. A lot of the people that I communicate with heavily are through uh, messaging apps and whatnot like that. And it's important to me, especially right fucking now, because yeah. as I told you yeah. the other day, you know, my, my friendship circle is, is rings of concentric circles. You know, I have people that I know passively that are on the outside and closer and closer and closer. And what happens is you get closer to the middle. Those rings are people like yourself, people that are a lot like me. And as some of those rings have gotten closer and closer, those friends are starting to show cracks. And I'm not trying to, to downplay or th- put anybody on the table and say, this is, this is you, you've got a problem. I just hear people that have had, man, business is great. Business is, is booming. Things are going really well. And now it's, man, business is getting really, really hard. Things are getting really, really tough. And then it's like the next series of messages with them. Things aren't so good at home. Like, you know, yeah. they, and it just, people are starting to wear down a little bit. So yep. that's almost a painful kind of draw to my phone because I know that there are people like yourself. We check on each other quite a bit, which I value. Um, I've got another group of friends that I consistently check in with as much as I can. And then they check in with me. So if I just throw my phone down for two or three hours beyond the fact of the, what am I missing? And I put that in quotations. Yeah. It's also like, who am I missing? Who yeah. might need me during this time? And and I know you're a giver, you're a doer, yeah. you're a, you're a people person. I'm the same way. And putting that phone down for three hours might you might miss a phone call that you really should have taken or you might, and it, you just can't live that way. It's just not a very healthy way to live with that no. guilt laden association to your phone. Well, man, I mean, and, and, and honestly, there's, there's a positive element to that. There's a negative element to it. And part, part of it for me is that I've missed that call <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, it, in, in like some pretty real ways. And, and so I'm always hyper cautious about that. Um, but I think the reason that it feels so heavy for everyone right now is, is that, most of the people that we know, I mean, again, always exceptions noted, but are pretty good at self-management until stuff really hits the fan. Mm -hmm. But the last two years have been such a gigantic wild card. And even the fact that the people that care the most and seem the most stable and have always been very squared away and, and forward moving, any other challenge right now is magnified by the fact that, that everything going on right now makes so little intellectual sense that you just feel insane all the time. Yeah. And, and so when I think about how that would reflect on someone's family life, how that would reflect on their productivity, all this kind of stuff is again, where I get into like a really sympathetic type of a point of view, because if I had anything to manage besides this weird lemonade stand we have in a tiny cat, I would be a disaster. And, 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 you know, I'm overextended trying to manage those things and then help the people that we help remotely help the people that we, that we have here in person. Um, that, that, that's the stuff that's, that's my family circle in in a way. Um, and even that, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've done everything we possibly can in every way that we can, 
to empower people and, and make sure that they have the tools they need to weather storms and things like that. And they're still cracking. And I, I attribute some of it to the actual, you know, brick and mortar facts of how ridiculous all this is. But I, I also really attribute it to the psychological wear out that's happening because everyone feels fight or flight all the time. Right. And, you know, for better or worse, I've felt like that a lot. And, and, you develop kind of a threshold for it and, and whether it's positive or not, you know, it, it doesn't rattle you quite as hard because when you're used to getting fucked with, getting fucked with is not quite so surprising. Um, but when you're not, I, again, I can, I can really, really sympathize with how that feels and, and trying to adjust to that alongside all this other stuff is a really tall order. You know, I mean, when, when you can't express your opinion, um, when you're probably at odds with your family over stuff that like, you know, the government or the media is, 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 is obviously trying to trick us with, man, that's, that's, they're, they're really doing a masterful job at undermining our, our social structure and, and our cultural unity. Well, and I think too, it's, it's almost somewhat of a self burden for, for me because, you know, I have so much time alone. I drive a lot and a lot more and more in the last couple of years, I've noticed used to get in the truck, happy turn on the music fucking roll the windows down and jam or and or it might be a podcast or an audiobook man sometimes i just get in the truck and it's like silence like i just want silence i don't want to turn on anything i just want to drive and problem there is is i is i do think quite a bit but at the same time thinking leads to realizations and realizations leads to the truth and the truth is things are very very dark at times right now and for me, that's that because I'm, you know, we're much the same in that when I see a problem, I want to fix it. And the yeah. problems that I'm lingering on personally, the things that I think about the most are oftentimes I can't change or impact even at all. So right. I am still trying to work towards a place where I can have those realizations, see them for the truth, and then dust my hands of it and be like, that's just what it is. But that feels that feels like a coward's way out. You know what I mean? It it, it, do, it does, but I know it's not. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And and there's got to be a better word for it than coward. But I, I do know what you mean because anytime I address something, you know, societal or political or anything like that, I try and do it even-handedly, at least to a point where the only people who are going to be rattled or would be rattled because they'll never see it in a million years would be the people that it's directly about. Um, because what I'm trying to do when I share that stuff is inform anyone in our audience that may have not thought about it in that way, or at very least, let people know that there are certain things that we are just not gray on. Right. And and I, I really think that that's important too, because we, we, are, we are vastly accepting of everyone. I mean, in the last 20 years, I've trained everybody. Yep. I mean, everybody, you know, everybody to the point where I would take that against almost anyone else in the world, you know, cause, sure. cause you, you know, the type of person I am, we've come up on some unusual trainees. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And, 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 and even prior to that, you know, the, the, the people that we hired for any of the brands that we worked on, the, the team riders that we had on any of the brands that we worked on, the people that helped me with everything back since I was a kid, it, it's always just been like these varied levels of acceptance of people's idiosyncrasies. And so I, I have no question in my mind as to how I work with accepting those that are worth it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's, it's a clean slate until someone dirties it up. But, but, but there are certain things that are not a clean slate. And there are certain things that I feel strongly enough to share, even if it's, even if it's perceived as simply negative. Um, but to your point, I, I, I triple think, quadruple think those things because I don't want to contribute negativity to this world right now. For sure. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, too, if, if others are being so reckless that the negativity that they contribute is so overwhelming, the voices against it from reasonable, hard minded people are the only things that are going to keep it from being worse. Well, I think, too, you know, a lot of people and I'll equate it to something that we kind of touched on yesterday. I see so many people feeling like the truth of what they are, the, the, the voice of their opinions has them standing on this ledge, just waiting, waiting to topple over. But I do feel like the majority of the people like we've talked about you, me, there are people that are that are starting to talk again. They're starting to say things of value because. I think the only way forward through all of this is to get people thinking again. And the hope would be that rather than feeling like you're on that balcony alone and you're going to step off, if you say the wrong thing and the fall is going to be great. One, I would hope that more and more people start to realize we're in this together. If we start saying positive things, truthful things, um, enlightening things that other people will do so also. And to change the scope that it's not a ledge, it may be just a curb. It might just be a small fall and like it might take someone and here's where I fall uh, as far as where I fall on the side of the line of saying what I feel. I know that I I carry very little hate for anything just as a passive. That's a group of something or that's a group of people or that's an outtake of this. So I just hate it because no, it is it is earned hatred as much as it is earned acceptance. You know, I don't generally hate anything and I don't tend to put a lot of energy into those things, but there are things that need to be said about things that need to be said. And the the more willing that we're able to put ourselves out there and then face confrontation to it, if somebody's unwilling to confront you and then converse with you about something you said, they're not really worth conversing with at all. And that's not to say that that makes my message superior to theirs. They can go on about their business. But if you're going to come in and critique me for something, and then basically just be dismissive of anything that I say to defend the thought or explain myself, what are you really seeking here other than to destroy me, you know, or to be a detriment to what I'm saying, you know, that's, that's, that's the biggest distinction in my opinion right now between people that want each other to succeed and people that want anyone that isn't them to fail. And for, for me, if I say something, I will defend it. And I don't, I don't say inflammatory things because I want to defend them. I'm not, I'm not an argumentative person, but if I say it or share it, or if we're, if we're applying it in training, or if I'm applying it in martial arts, if I'm applying it in tactics, if I'm applying it with cops, if I'm applying it on an injured person, whatever, if I'm doing it, I can defend it. And in the cases when I, when I can't, and they've come up and they've been extremely valuable. A counterpoint is the only way to learn something that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So if, if I articulate something and someone calls me out on it or, or brings to, to light something that's better or different or something like that, I will defend it. And if I cannot, I will concede it. 
And that's because I don't give a fuck about winning. Right. I, I, want, I want people to be better. I want our platform to grow. And, and our priority, no matter what I'm posting on social media or whatever the case is, our priority is our people. And, and the way that I look at that is, you know, before Instagram decided that, um, you know, anyone with a, with a straight black line in any of their graphics was going to get shadow banned, we had a very, very hard earned audience that was larger than the one that we have now, even though the follower count says we have more now. And they became very personally attached to us. And, and we're not even reaching many of them still. Um, this is not meant to, that's not meant to be the point here, but our, our people in person are a priority. Our remote people are not much less of a priority these days because they're the ones that are engaging with us more. Mm -hmm. And our in-person groups get to hear what we say before we run class off. You know, and you've been, you've been to our classes. There's nothing casual about that shit. No. And when, when we, when we, when we go into that process, we know that we have that couple minutes a day to influence and impact those people directly with our audience online, social media, we have that same few minutes, but we don't get it to be face to face. So when I'm sharing something or something like that, it's, it's, it's always engineered to try and like either evoke something thought, um, even sometimes frustration from people that want to like, and I've had such excellent disagreements with people on social media too. A while back I posted some stuff, um, and I had vetted it, but there's always more to vet, especially these days, you know, um, and, and someone who had had a, a real expertise in the field, in a medical field, had brought up some things to me that were just fascinating, you know, really, really smart. Um, and we ended up having a phenomenal conversation and I learned a lot and we ended up like on this positive note and it was awesome. And, and it, it felt like how things should be, you know, it, it felt like, you know, when I was, when I was younger and in hardcore, I got to come up and watch a lot of things ebb and flow and get really successful and really unsuccessful. And the infighting that came along with all of that, you know, with, with, with hardcore music and with BMX and then certainly with CrossFit. Um, and then even, even with jujitsu, you know, in, in the year 2000 or whenever, when I started grappling with my karate instructor in the garage, you know, jujitsu was a totally different thing than it is now. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so when, when, when all that stuff starts to get looked at, um, as, as, as pieces of a whole, the, the, the confrontation, quote unquote, confrontation doesn't have to be negative. It has to be present in order for us to personally develop, but it also can't be the purpose of the communication. If, if all you're doing is trying to argue and, and it, it's, it's a relevant point always, especially right now, if all you're doing is trying to argue right now, you're going to find a vehicle for that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a vehicle that just wastes everyone's time. Yeah. And I, I think too, it's, it's such a strange time. One of the things that absolutely blows my mind, and I've talked about this on another podcast, but when you end up seeing these people who are, you know, they go viral for whatever reason, um, they amass a, a following very, very quickly. And then it's like the redundancy begins. They just start to become this version of all the little things that they're rewarded for by the like button. And it just becomes nonsensical to a level that's, that's, I don't really understand it. And I mean, I literally don't understand it. Um, and for example, you see this in some of the fitness stuff, these guys like throwing the pre-workout in their face or like squeezing <laughs> the protein bottles and the protein goes everywhere in their kitchen and stuff. But it's like, they'll have thousands of comments yeah. and a hundred thousand likes or yeah. some shit like that. And, and yeah. I wonder like, 
why do people perpetuate this stuff? Why do you think that, and, and not to like, not to knock anybody's stick, but like, I think more about the person on the other end of the phone that's clicking follow or like, like, what are you really after in this mechanism that could give you anything that you wanted? You know what I mean? Well, you know, a thing that we don't think about, or well, a thing that we don't think about a lot and that I've only thought about recently is with that, with that stuff, you know, and, and a lot of it is, a lot of it is people hit that one trick, mm-hmm. but then they realize that's the only trick they really had because they'd been spending way too much time trying to hit that trick and not a lot of time developing the process that surrounded it. Right. So they have to keep going back to the same well because they're not really a component of culture. They're kind of like a vulture of it. Yeah. And I think in the comment side of things and in the engagement side of things, what people know is that if that post gets a hundred thousand likes or whatever these crazy numbers are and they make a stupid comment, 5,000 people are going to see their name that day. Oh yeah. You know? And, and so the, the weird reality to that is with how short everyone's attention span is right now, and with how absolutely pathetically low the bar of quality is in most realms right now, that's success. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, some, someone, someone, someone saw your goofy, you know, acronym, you know, emoji laden comment on a stupid post. Right. And you, you got, you got 50 people liking your like. Yeah. And, and the reality is, they've done a masterful job at making us think that that is success. They've done a masterful job at thinking at making us think that that is interaction. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really a a slippery slope because where, where does it go from here? It, where it goes from here is some of these rich morons trying to make parallel universes that live inside your digital devices and things like that. And it's like, like that's one of those things that when I started seeing that my mind immediately went to, because I mean, like, that's a sense of humor that I have. My mind immediately went to like, this is, this is a genius level parody. Oh, well. And, and then you quickly realize, no, it's not, it's not a parody. (laughs) Well, and that's, uh, do we talk about the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix before? (laughs) Have you seen that movie? I, I, is, is this where I admit that sometimes I, I sit through the first 30 minutes and realize that it's going to break my brain and turn it yeah. off? Well, and that's the way that yeah. movie was. It was like yeah. when I watched it, it seemed almost nonsensical. Like I couldn't understand what was happening. But really, yeah. just a few years later, that's essentially what's happening. We're designing yeah. operating systems that yeah. become a perfect match. But yep. one thing that I wanted to touch on and you talked <laughs> about a little bit just there was the metaverse. And um, as a cautionary tale... I think that if you look at something from an entertainment standpoint, it's one thing. But when it becomes almost another keeping up with the Jones type situation, I think corporations realize looking at people, well, most people are spending every dollar that they get of their paycheck. There's no more money to be had for these corporations. So they have to go somewhere else where they can make money. So what have they done with our children but train them to be effective earners in a metaverse? They've taught them to be locked away in dark rooms with headphones on communicating with their friends. And now when you get home from work at nine to five at five thirty, you can plug in your metaverse and then go to your job where you buy virtual clothes and you wear virtual Nikes and you carry the new virtual Apple iPod and you're spending virtual money in a virtual universe that is actually real money 
that's coming from this thing. I mean, it's already existed. There's a game called, it's either called Second Life or Half Life, but it's existed for a while that people made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling virtual clothing within this space or selling virtual real estate and whatnot. So if you want someone to, to spend more money, they have to be able to make more money. What have we done with our currency? It's gone digital. What have we done with NFTs? There's there some form of art form and property that I don't understand. You know, I've no. read a little bit about them, but we're yeah. creating this space to earn income in ways that isn't conventional dollars and cents. So now you can spend that money in this virtual verse and these comp- that's the only place that these companies can continue to profit because the average person is broke. So you give them a place to earn more money or earn more value, and then they turn right around and spend it. I mean, my, I think I read Nike's investing. I don't want to. I don't want to misquote. It was either five hundred million, five billion, or fifty billion. I don't remember. It was. It was a lot of aliens. An, absurd, an absurd amount of money. Far, yeah, far it, too many zeros. Well, you know, but it tells you that this is like Nike's not stupid. They're not putting whatever iteration of money it is in there to lose it they're not thinking right. man the metaverse is going to be a great place where people are happy happy and their psychology improves there's they're going to go in there and treat you know create a deficiency where it's like oh if you don't have these nikes in the virtual verse metaverse you're not the cool kid or if you don't well, drive you know what i mean it's just how do we make sense thing, of it the, fir- the first thing that came into my mind as you were saying that and some of that was new information for me i knew somewhat about this and what i've looked at it as is just a massive captive advertising opportunity for the brands that live in there, you know, because what I'm, what I'm picturing is, you know, there was an episode of the office um, where that one nerdy motherfucker was walking through some type of fake universe, playing a game that he is a character he created himself, you know? And, and I, I remember thinking, okay, well, Subway restaurant is paying $10 million to be a part of that thing. And, you know, Nike's paying another $10 million and, and you know, Cuckoo's Chicken is paying whatever fucking money. And, and so w- what you have, of course, is another opportunity for them to advertise and write the money off and do all, get all these subsidies. I didn't realize there was a commerce element to it. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the social credit element to it that you just mentioned made me immediately think of how many people that I know and I'm sure how many people we collectively know that look at their four years of high school as the prime of their fucking lives. Oh yeah. And so when you think about walking into a metaverse, a metaverse is the term. I, I think that's the correct term. Is the Honestly, metaverse. like I almost just wanted to put this like in my neck, <laughs> to just, just saying that out loud. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you walk into an environment like that, quote unquote environment like that, all of a sudden it's high school again. Yeah. You, 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 you don't have to look an actual way. You can look a false way. You don't have to actually earn what you think you need to earn in order to look the way that you need to look. And so when, when you started saying that, I started thinking about the amount of people I know that really looked, looked at and look at high school as, the, as their shining achievement. And they're probably the ones right now that are struggling in real life, understandably, because real life is a challenge. Sure. And reverting to that type of, you know, youthful mindset of social credit. Well, yeah, it's, it's what I wear matters. It's what I drive matters. It's, you know, it's more than, yeah, it's more than who we are. It's, it's It's presentation, not content. And, and I, 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 I've never, I've always prioritized presentation to a, to a very, very high degree, but presentation is always second to the content. 
you can you can you can present something crappy well and it's still crappy yeah but the reverse is almost often is almost always not true if you have something great you can you can stumble through the presentation and the information is still great but when they marry is when you really end up with 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 something important um but when you take one completely out of the equation, man, you, you've, you've just got like this, this like half empty glass. Well, I want to, I want to throw one more curveball at you in regards to, oh. to the virtual verse. <laughs> so uh, I was reading and I don't, you know, I, again, it could be satire. I usually, once I find something that's so mind baffling um, <laughs> that it seems like it could only be satire. I'll, I'll it's impossible to tell though. And it was confirmed that, <laughs> It is. It is. Um, it was. Con- it was supported by other articles. I'll put it that way. Not confirmed, okay. but supported by other articles. That there is an ongoing conversation now about the legality of murder within the the metaverse. What does? What are the implications for that in real life? <laughs> and there are some people. There are some courts that feel as though that that is punishable by law. I'm, I'm, so I'm, so I'm, it becomes a minority report type situation. You know. Um, I mean, honestly, um, um, a murder in the metaverse. So, so these LARPing motherfuckers that are sitting around playing Halo for 9,000 hours a day are killing 10,000 people a day. Are they not in the metaverse? I don't, I don't know how it works because then like, if you go back one step, what about the lethality of like Grand Theft Auto? Like you, you've trained. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like. Like my experience with those games is massively limited, but occasionally someone will send me a clip that's so flagrant that they have to show me because it's it's that crazy. Right. Like you can just straight up hand to hand murder people in those games. Well, is that okay. is that different than? So here's the thing. All right. <laughs> so I, I just googled murder in the metaverse. Okay. And what, and what are the penalties for murder in the metaverse? In the criminal code, murder is detailed in Article 139 and is punishable by 15 to 20 years and to 25 years in prison, but applies to the death of another person in the real world. As can be anticipated, killing a person's avatar is not punished in the same way, but may be susceptible to some form of punishment. That's one. Now another one uh, goes on to, t- to discuss like penalties, like actual financial penalties of killing someone in the metaverse because you're doing damage to their avatar. Wait so a minute. It's like- <laughs> so, 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 um, this might be a slippery slope. So, so cities across the country are letting felons out of jail because they have the flu, mm-hmm. but people are about to get fined for killing a cartoon. I think so. <laughs> I think that's what I don't know. I, I don't know if the jury's out yet, but uh, I think that's the direction that it's looking like is that there's going to be some penalty because I mean, all right, to, no. play, to, play, to play devil's advocate here. And this is, this is nonsensical, but it's also a little bit lighthearted too and fun until it's, <laughs> until it's reality. But yeah. you know, imagine someone like, imagine you're just passively playing your game. You're, you're in the metaverse and someone just keeps disrupting your ability to enjoy yourself. Yeah. As a user, I can understand wanting some penalty for that person. But what is an what is an actual punishment worth in the metaverse? Like what what could they do to harm you? I mean, I I guess I guess the inability to deal with that would just 
to me, show such a much more important inability to not deal with it in reality. But why is it even a, a thing that's possible in there? Why you know is it I mean? even a thing that's possible? I mean, be, of course, like the, the origin story of this is I don't know if anything could strike me as more ridiculous than the metaverse. Sure. So putting that in its own little box, I think all of it is is supremely idiotic. But when you start extrapolating it into penalties or relationships or actual social interaction, unless it's purely positive, like unless you can just walk through the mall and people watch and like have a cookie and, you know, pet a hedgehog, you're wasting, you're wasting time that you could be spending doing something to actually improve your normal life. And and I'm not some self-help guru, but that's just a fact. Yeah. You know, walking around getting offended by someone in in a in a in a cartoon world yeah. is exactly where they want you. Like like that that is that is the purest iteration of they own you that I could possibly think of. Well, let me give you a little bit more conspiracy twist here, okay? Since we're having fun. So <laughs> we've we've talked about this on the podcast before and I and I think, you know, and, and these are these are real questions that I that I'm curious about. There's no weight to the answers whatsoever, but it's it's just real discussion on things that I consider. How do you devalue the most expensive cities in the world? You make the the attributes of a beautiful city worthless. You you shut down restaurants. You shut down entertainment. You make you know you're looking at New York City where people were paying four to ten thousand dollars a month for some of these places. Maybe that seemed valuable because you were near the theater. You were near your favorite restaurants. You were near literally any amount of entertainment in any given time. Beautiful, uninterrupted architecture. Exactly. So yes, now, exactly. Yeah. So now people are flocking out of there. People are foreclosing left and right. Same in San Francisco, same in L.A. But look who's buying. These wealthy, you know, uh, Warren Buffett types, Bill Gates yeah. types, they're buying it for pennies on the dollar. How do you then further buy the actual land up? from people that would never sell it. You somehow create a value in the metaverse that's more valuable than the actual land because I don't need to go outside. I don't need a bigger house now. I don't need this. I need a cubicle where I can operate my operating system to have this valuable piece of whatever in the metaverse. So yeah, of course you can have grandma's 400 acre farm for pennies on the dollar because I need more money to buy the Nikes in the metaverse. What if it goes, I mean, Again, this is all hypothetical bullshit, but well, you I, know, it, I, I just it, don't. It was, I try to figure out the angle of where it's going. Like, what is it, what is the financial gain for these these assholes that play the cards and we get dealt whatever they decide? Well, and I mean, it, it may be hypothetical, but it, it's 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 relatively logical dots to connect if we look at how corrupt and obtrusive things have gotten. Um, and and when I when I talk to people in those cities. They, they talk about the the large buy-ups of what was, you know, stalwart parts of a community by, you know, essentially Amazon or something like that. Sure. Um, and, and, and I guess the next step in the process is, well, what are they going to turn it into? And then the next step in the process is who's going to support what they turned it into? So w- when you start fragmenting communities down to that level, eventually I would imagine somewhat anyway – and very sadly, the, the land will start to devalue itself in a way. Yeah. You know? And and that's really, really sick. Um, the idea of someone trading in something in reality for 
for literally cartoon money. Um, although I know there's elements of it that I don't understand. And, and, and I will also tip my hat to people that have optimized digital currency and NFTs and things like that, because there's very likely sitting in far better financial positions than I am. Um, but the trouble is, you know, I have this pesky project that exists in the real world where I help people and I don't have 50 fucking hours a week to sit around and tinker on the internet. Sure. So, you know, eventually I can really see a split like that occurring, like, like kind of almost like you proposed, like wh why wouldn't it, yeah. you know, if, if, if things in the real world become unattractive enough to enough people, a lot of people, as we very clearly seen are going to give up before they fight back. Yeah. That sucks. Well, I think it follows the pornography model. You know, you, you talk about the, the psychology of pornography and how the desensitization of, of physical sex becomes somewhat the, the problem with so much virtual sex. You know, it's, it's like nothing in real life can match up to eight hours of porn that some of these people consume in a day. You know what I mean? It's like how much sex would you have to have to equate to hours and hours and, and, and so on of porn, but people perpetuate this, this addiction, you know, they're getting that fixed. So I think it's preying on the fact that people are, I think porn, as much as alcoholism, as much as addiction to drugs or, or any of the vices that humans find themselves in, really, they stem from a, a lacking sense of self-reliance and strength. Because if you're strong, mm -hmm. if you're self-reliant, if you if you perceive that you want a woman and you're a man, you can go out there and, and pursue those things. You know, And I'm not saying like sleeping around. I'm saying if you want to love someone, you can pursue that end and you can find ways to do those things. But we, we kind of we desensitize ourselves to the reality of things and just consume whatever is easily available, you know, and then that becomes the reality almost mimics the virtualness. So, you know, well, in, look, in, yeah, in a lot of sense, it's kind true. of a bad point, but it was there was something there. No, it's 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 not. It's an important one. And you can extrapolate it into things like training. You can extrapolate it into things like violence. You can extrapolate it into things that people are doing in these essentially kind of like digital ways um, almost could be considered like a false way. And you look at how things looked prior to whenever, you know, yeah. take, take, take like, take like um, random violence, for example. Sure. If you looked at street fights when we were a kid or something like that um, and I don't have to look far, they were messy. They were simple. They didn't involve, you know, rear naked chokes and elbows and all this kind of stuff. Now you, you look at what overexposure to certain concepts has done and has manifested. And you look at like a, a normal group of people street fighting right now, you'll see things that would have been taught exclusively in a martial arts gym 15 years ago. Mm. And of course that's, that's different than the pornography analogy, but it's, it's not all that different. Um, things manifest in reality when you put enough time into it in any realm. Mm. And, and that sucks. You yeah. know, it, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a slippery slope. And I think, and again, I, I don't know, man, I, I, I try and look at it from both sides of the equation. I, I imagine, and I can, and I can easily understand and relate to a, a lot of the, of the loneliness and a lot of the disenfranchisement and frustration and things like that, that people are under right now. They're looking for any vice that isn't immediately destructive to keep them from feeling worse. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's real. And, and I understand it. Like we've both been in that trap. Oh yeah. You know? And, and one thing I can say, having been in those traps, um, is that when you come out of them is the only time that you realize how destructive they actually were. Yeah. Well, when, I, when you're in them, you can always justify it. Yeah. And I think that's something, you know, if I look at myself, I even told you this, um, not too long ago and I was discussing with Logan, like not, I don't have anything that's like, there's, there's no real bad, but everything seems bad. And, um, what I would do is, you know, I would, I like to go down to the gym at night, 15 to 20 minute training session, just some body weight stuff, some movement stuff. Like I even told you the other day, it, it somewhat yeah. looks like yoga meets body weight movement. Yep. And, um, what I would do after that is I would kind of journal my training, write that down, maybe write down a few high points, low points of the day, journal entry, whatever you want to call it. And I would have a bourbon and that was maybe one night a week, two nights a week. And then it started to be like three or four nights a week. And then it started to be three nights a week with two pours. And it's not like for a guy like me that, that pushes himself physically, it's very easy to like, man, this isn't going to set you back. Like this yeah, is just, yeah. this is just to relax. Yeah. And again, yeah. I'm not sitting here saying like, I'm looking at a full shelf of, of bourbon that I, that I collect and whatnot, but it's like, I'm not typically a guy that drinks a lot. You know, I, I prefer to smoke weed, but, um, the thing about me is, is it's like, that's just one little crack that became more. And I had to kind of rein that in a little bit to be like, Hey, it was fine. You didn't get out of control with it, but it's so like, I think people sometimes put you up on a pedestal or they'll put me on a pedestal where it's like, and I even put you on a pedestal sometimes like this motherfucker never cracks. This dude, this dude never has a, a day off. But do the same thing. if anybody is listening to this and, and I'm not excusing those behaviors because, you know, you have to keep yourself in check, but also don't throw yourself to the fire just because you, you backtrack a little bit. I mean, that's the, right. The world's a crazy right. fucking place right now. And I do think that sometimes just having like a week or two where you, you just take off the gas a little bit just to yeah. kind of reset can be a valuable thing. Some people that's a, a weekend, some people that's a couple weeks of having an extra drink at night or something, but it can't perpetuate forever. And then it, that's when it becomes a problem. Well, and, 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 and I, I've looked at it often, not, not it being any one particular thing, but the concept that you just talked about as, as being positive self-preservation, mm-hmm. um, of course, and anything, anything that isn't honoring our purpose needs to be limited and put in its place. But then the other thing that I would encourage people to do, and I've done this myself, is is that when I start feeling things getting a tiny bit ahead of me that I know shouldn't be getting ahead of me, and an advantage of falling as far as I've fallen as many times as I've fallen is that I don't let things get too far because I, I know I have enough actual things stacked against me at any given time where I can't be one of them. Yeah. I I can't be rooting against myself. And so when it comes to that decompression, um, when it comes to that self-preservation, I've been looking for things that are similar but different, you know? And and for for me, a lot of the times is it's, you know, it probably has its unhealthy elements also, but I'll take time for an hour, an hour and a half before I go to bed and I will tinker with my body to the point where if there was a knot in one particular place in my, in my arm, I will not go to bed until that's gone. And I feel like I completed something that's going to help me attack the next day, the way that I want to attack it. Mm -hmm. I am fully aware that that is boring as fuck, 
But like, it's one way that, that I've been self-preserving without having to indulge in a lot of stuff that's not going to help me at all, yeah. you know? And especially during a time when it's been really hard to be entertained. You know, we've talked about this also. And, and I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I made it through a, a, a new movie. I, I've watched movies that I've seen so many times, um, so many times now, because I can watch them and enjoy them, but I don't have to be emotionally invested. I know exactly what's going to happen. Sure. You know, I'm, yeah. I watch, I'm watching horror movies from the fifties and sixties and seventies and, and, you know, cert, certain things that I just really, really love. And I'll watch them again and, and again and again. Um, and, and that's my, that's my self-preservation. Um, discover, discovering music from people that I trust. My friend DJ Rose is, is pretty much batting a thousand when it comes to like sending me bands that I hadn't heard before that I can like, deep dive into. So the self-preservation nature of drinking or even circling back to like pornography or something like that, there, you know, and again, neither of us is a self-help guru, but there are better paths. And a lot of times it's as simple as finding one, Yeah, you know, f find something that moves that needle and attach yourself to it for a while, you know, say, okay, you know, there's this 10 series of movies with Boris Karloff from the fifties and sixties that I've never seen before. I'm going to watch all 10 of these and I'm going to, I'm going to laugh and I'm going to enjoy it because all they're doing is relying on dialogue and props. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not trying to trick me. They're not, they're not trying to, they're not trying to influence me subliminally, you know, and, and you, and we're going to learn things, you know, you know, a lot of times when I'm sharing either graphics, either digitally or, or language or things like that, that stuff originated in days long gone because that's the stuff that resonates and stays with me. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not nerding out trying to find different words. I, I try and <laughs> find those words in organic ways. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading a book that's 60 years old. I'm watching a movie that's 30 years old. I'm listening to music made before I was born. You know, it's, 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 uh, there, there are decompression methods out there that, that are, I, in my opinion, anyway, just as effective and far less dangerous to, to your own purpose. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I guess one of the things we need to consider there is that there needs to be a purpose if, if, if that's to happen. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, um, I think a little bit of what I feel or have felt, like I said, it's been about two weeks since I was kind of in that stage, but there was also the, the hangover or the depressive effect of coming home from Argentina. You know, I'd put yeah. a lot of work into that hunt. Yeah. I'd really focused on that, had something to, you know, I still can shoot my bow every day, but it was almost like there was a, a methodical purpose to the training every day because the countdown was on yeah. and then coming home. It was yeah. like, well, I don't have to shoot today, you know? And it was like the thing yeah. that was keeping me kind of tied to the focus was now able to be kind of shelled for a minute. And I got the bow back out and strung it back up and started shooting again. But it's easy once you complete something to kind of take the gas off too far and, and let the grill get cold. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's, that's very, very real. That's very, very real. I mean, that's, that's post competition syndrome. Yep. That's post, that's post show syndrome. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've run events where I felt like that, like you put so much into that thing and then it's over and you're like, okay, you know, well, what do I do today? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's the same thing when you, when you, of course, you're the last person in the world I have to explain this to, but like when you put your ass on the line physically and then that's over, you, you have to be psychologically prepared for what that's going to do to you or you're going to go off the fucking rails. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's a thing that I think a lot of people feel, but, but don't really put too much energy into thinking about how to deal with. Yeah. No, I think it's a very real, you know, cause when you start to get to people and you, you know, you talk to someone and they, let's say they're doing, um, the, the first form 75 hard, you know, they follow that program, they crush it for 75 days and you, and you watch them and the momentum is there and, and everything is going good. And then it's like, well, they walked across the graduation stage and it's now what, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily go back, reassess where they are, make, make subtle changes to the program and then start it over. I'm not saying, you know, people need whatever they need for discipline. That's a, that's a great program for someone that needs, you know, certain objectives laid out for them, training laid out for them. If I don't care what you follow, if it gets you off the couch and gets you in a better place then do it. But yep. what I'm saying is so many people have like these 10 week weight loss goals. They get to the 10 week mark, they've done their job and, and they've, they've hit a goal or they've hit a number that they wanted. And then it's like, okay, the party's over and the discipline doesn't remain. And I think that's, it's one of the things that I thrive on that. Like I thrive on the boom, ba boom, ba boom. Like I need one thing right after the other because yeah. left to my own, I'm somewhat self-destructive, you know, in the fact that I, I, you know, my discipline sets up around the goals that I have. And when the goals are behind me, well, I need to set some new goals really, really quick or I'm going to find myself starting to repeat some bad patterns. Well, I mean, and, and expecting that life isn't life itself isn't always going to provide those opportunities. You've, you've heard me use the phrase uh, lifelong linear progression when mm -hmm. it comes to our training. And that that's, that's my addressment of what you just said with our people and, and even our people remotely is, is that, I wanted to construct a body of work so thorough that if someone really, really wants to, there is something that they can detail, assess and improve every day forever in their physical practice without having to have a gigantic, well-appointed gym or anything like that. Um, I mean, positional acuity is never done. And, and so because I'm, because I'm similar, there has, there has to be, <laughs> there has to be a purpose-driven forecast uh, and, and forethought or, it's really easy to get off the rails and, and really, really discouraged, you know, uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, as much as, as much as I have worked very hard to wrangle it in, my mind is not right in a lot of ways. And, and so that type of structure, that type of, of micro progress and things like that, you know, like we, we, we mentioned often, you know, allowing the thimble to quench your thirst is, is how our training is applied is there's, there's always a chance to, improve something that you're doing, even while something else is staying the same. Mm -hmm. And, and really, man, it's, it's, it's not everyone defaults to physical stuff to, to cool their jets when it comes to feeling stagnant or something like that. But I, I think that there's a lot more to that than most people give it credit for. Yeah. You no, know, it's not just the number on the bar. It's how well you're lifting, whatever you're lifting. You know, it's not just the push up. It's, it's, have you optimized the push up to a 360 degree model? You know, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know. I, th well, that's, that's my, that's my simple way of addressing that gigantic piece. Well, I think too, um, what I would encourage people to realize and, and maybe take away from that statement is what you're speaking on as an evolved athlete slash trainer in that they, they focus on things more than the explicit, like, weight is explicit. It's, it's on the bar. You see it, you know how much it is, but every rep is not every rep. 
and the perfection of yeah. form, the perfection yeah. of speed, um, or the attempt to perfect those things can all be done with the same weight. You know, you can, you can improve drastically using the same weight through different schemes and different attempts as far as how you position yourself or the angles that you do things. And that's what I really, you know, to, to make this a valuable point, that's the one thing that I can't, I can't match another coach. And this is no disrespect to other coaches that get great results, but from a thinking man standpoint, I don't know that there's another coach out there that has analyzed the degrees, the angles, um, the positional stuff as thoroughly and completely and considerate of all the other angles and the positions and the degrees and how they can work cohesively together in a system. I just don't think it exists at that level. And I think that's an attribute to the way that you think. So maybe some of, um, maybe some of the stuff that, that makes you feel somewhat dysfunctional in ways is the, the heaviest contributor to the success of your program is you you like those finite details. You like those impossible to find points, you know? I, 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 I appreciate that. It makes, <laughs> makes me feel a tiny bit less nuts. Um, and, and the other thing that makes me feel a tiny bit less nuts is, is when we watch it unfold and, and we see it helping people's external stressors mitigate, mm-hmm. you know, they, they come in, their physical performance is, is, is something that they're proud of. Um, a change in their appearance is something they're proud of, things like that. Um, and, and, and we've, we've really been able to draw a lot of, of personal and, and professional satisfaction from that. Um, cer- certainly not the, certainly not the easiest path. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the other thing is, is I, I think we've been able to use physicality as, as a real point of, of unity because, you know, we, we love kettlebells and we love maces, but we love barbells and, and medicine balls and sandbags and everything too. We're, we're not, we're not implement Nazis any more than we are anything else. Um, you know, the barbell and the kettlebell and the mace work in such amazing harmony to think about, um, underutilizing one because of my philosophical priority to another one is, is foolish. It's, it's, that would be limiting our, that would be limiting our people. Um, and then I think the other, the other thing that has been helpful and I, I give full credit to this coming from martial arts into strength training is, is strategy and concept over simply technique. And that makes the learning process a lot more fun, I believe, and a lot more transferable to like life, life, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I'm teaching grappling or I'm teaching striking or, or the combination of, um, of course, the, the techniques we teach are sharp and accurate and proven and what I've been taught and learned and practiced and, and whatever the case is. But but my overarching point is concept and strategy it is, is how are you going to control this person with a limited amount of knowledge in technique, but a thorough understanding of what you want and why. Mm-hmm. And and man, does that just it just transfers so far outside the training room, you know? And it, it seems like there'd be almost no such thing as too much detail to put into that because of how much I've seen it help people. And, and me, geez, I mean, not even really taking into consideration the fact that like, if, if I didn't have this to deep dive into um, for the last you know couple of decades, there's, there's a 0% chance that I would still be here. So I think one of the things that I was thinking was you were saying that, and even the point of you still being here, is your training does lend itself to the idea that if you have a problem and you can't figure it out in one way, 
change the angle on it. Look at it from a different perspective. Look at, <laughs> look at it from a new standpoint. And I think that, you know, I know how heavy shit can get mentally and, and the way that things impact me. And I know that you've shared some of this stuff with me too. Um, but I do think that it just automatically makes you a problem solver. When you adopt some of the principles and the tenets of your training, it really does make you look at things as like, this is not just a one way solution to problem. This thing can be attacked from many different angles. It can be solved from many different angles. And it's up to me to figure out the angle that works. Just as simple as like, you know, some of the hand placement for your pushups or, you know, the shoulder presses with the mace, having 360 degree of options rather than just one plane of movement or maybe just a couple planes of movement. I think it trains the psychology via the physicality to say there's more than one way through. You know, sometimes it's around, sometimes it's over and sometimes it's knocking the fucking door down. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the concept of adaptability has to be introduced to someone at some point. And in most, in most cases, I mean, if people were in the military or, or people got into law enforcement or something like that, they were addressed to, they were addressed and introduced to a very canned bullet pointed concept of adaptability. And some people's minds thrived within that. And some people's minds ended up just being automatons and not really ending up learning anything all that valuable. But when, when adaptability is is placed in a concept and strategy priority, it really doesn't ever end. I mean, we, we've seen such unique examples of that with our people, both in like professional contexts of, of, of people that used to have insane, serious anxiety issues, overperforming at work and getting jobs that they would have never had the confidence to ask for prior to being confident with their training up to the point that like, you know, the first time our people competed in grappling and for me, you know, after, after doing this for 13 years with just Wolf Brigade and another six years prior to that, seven years prior to that, you know, um, that's a very satisfying thing for me. More satisfying was seeing the day go pretty much the wrong way for everybody and everyone still excel. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, another flip side of that was, was we've had people just really take insane things onto their plate to see if they could do them with the insulation and adaptability of just our training, like running a hundred miles. That's not something people jump into, you know, (laughs) I mean, you don't, and and if you do jump into it, you know, you'd probably be glad handed to do it in 24 hours. No one jumps into running a hundred miles and does it in 18 hours and, and is training in four days. It's just, you know, so the, the, the adaptability, is so non-singular when it's thought about in terms of a concept and a strategy and a process and not simply just a lift or a movement or a rep or something like that. Um, n- never losing in the point, the fact that like we want to do everything as well as we possibly can. But man, it's like when you look at everything as to how it's going to apply to your life, how it's going to apply to your family, how it's going to apply to your mental health, um, train training, and I guess most specifically for us, articulate, detailed, caring training is it is a it's a it's a it's a secret weapon, you know? Yeah. Well, I do know. And I mean I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed the most about getting to to work with you guys and, and follow along and, and just really see. But you guys, I mean your people are in defiance of like what we said, they're just they're they're very normal people 
librarians, school teachers, musicians. I mean, these are these are not Olympic athletes walking through your door. And and I'll say Almost again, never. some of the never. things that that your people, you know, they, they continue to do is just always amazes me. I mean, some of the stuff that you see, even Bo the other day swinging that big heavy mace and just the fluidity yeah. of that movement. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's awesome to see. And you know. Bo's a guy that's that's been around and seen it and done it all. We were talking about Derek Woodsky and the way that he's just embraced yeah. the pace work and everything. Yeah. I mean, I guess for a casual list, listener that doesn't know um, necessarily Greg's work, it might be worthwhile to realize that some of the smartest, most creative minds in training that I know have adopted a lot of your work as, as their model for training. And I think the, that is never taken. That is never taken for granted for one second. Oh, not, not, sure not. not even, not even a moment. Well, and, and I think if I could make anyone understand that, I mean, Derek has traveled the world. And I, again, I'm not trying to put words in Derek's mouth, but Derek has traveled the world coaching. He worked with the Pollock group for a while. I mean, like guy has been around the industry of, of training and strength and conditioning for a long time. Not to mention that he was a, an extremely high level athlete. Um, Bert at Sornex believes in your stuff. Bo is implementing and believing in your stuff. I, I just think that if you're serious about yourself as as a training athlete, especially in a day and age where a lot of the people I think that find you are, are late twenty somethings, you know, transitioning into that thirties and even some of the 40, 50 year old group, much like myself, yep. you know, I can't I can't afford with the goals that I have for the longevity of my life to be a three hundred pound monster anymore. I mean, I just can't, but your training, and we've talked about the tensile nature of the strength that comes with your training. It doesn't put a lot of body mass on you. It just strengthens the mass that's there. And it, it will definitely take body mass off of you as far as fat. Like your people are strong fucking people that look like they lift, you know, but yep. they're, they're just not, they're not these superimposing you know, bodybuilding no. types. That's why I think it works so well for fighting because these guys are always because, struggling. They're struggling for every pound and it just well, lends to, itself so well to that. To, to me, the engineering and not to just derail this all to training. I think before I, before I say this next statement, I, I want to just make sure that, that people are clear on maybe why we transitioned the way we did here is that if, if used as a catalyst for personal improvement and um, a method of instilling detail orientation in your life and structure and all these types of things, physical training, and it doesn't have to be ours, but detailed, proven, provable strength and conditioning training is one of the quickest vehicles to that destination. Um, so, so to really circle back to everything else we've talked about, if you're not addressing that as a method of self-preservation, distraction from all this other stuff, I mean, I think both of us would agree that, that people probably really should jump into that. Mm -hmm. um, but but then to, to a bigger point, Wolf Brigade was engineered from both the foundations of traditional strength and conditioning, the early days of conceptual CrossFit, not the execution of it, because after the first few years, it was total shit. And anything that we've personally developed based on injury or need or anything like that for martial arts. So when it comes to building a specific type of body, when it comes to insulating a body with, with like you said, tensile strength, um, making sure that the power source is built just truly imperviously, and then that the extension cords will do whatever you want. All of that stuff is based on the fact that a martial artist or a fighter or anything like that 
can't afford to lift heavy and get gigantic and then ex- be expected to compete in a weight class sport or a dexterity based sport. If people want to lift weights, there are simple dials to turn within our program that will get you bigger in no, in no time flat. We've done that with a ton of people. If you want to lose weight, there are certain tinkerings that are just as easy. But the other interesting thing about our place, our people, is if you look at it with really wide open eyes, the bodies are all the same. Mm-hmm. And that is not an accident or an oversight in any way, shape or form. You know, I mean, certain people's genetics, of course, do slightly different things. But realistically, if you looked at a group of of our people all lined up together, you would pretty much be able to say, oh, they might all be doing something very, very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, and and to me, that's a really unique proof of process. I don't even know if I've ever articulated that. But like but like when I look at our room, that's how I think about it. If I can see a visual discrepancy in somebody's body, that means that I can fix it for them. For sure. Well, and, and I think you have such an attentive eye. And I mean, it was amazing to me to see you at Convergence, which I do want to talk about a little bit here before we wrap yeah, up. There's awesome. a couple of things Thank I want you. to talk about. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're speaking at Summerstrong, which is which is massive. It makes me so My proud God. to to see that community of people. I love I when worlds I, collide, you know, when, when true, truly organic groups of people that I care about and invest in and they get together and they they reciprocate to one another. I think that's going to be a, a really well received thing because I know I've seen you at Convergence. I've seen the way that you teach. I've seen the way that you coach, and you will be in front of a, a group full of athletes and coaches. And I just think it's going to be it's going to be one of those moments that's talked about. And not to put pressure on you, I just think it's going to be impactful. Um, so tickets are available for summer strong. You'll get to see Greg amongst a few other coaches that are just going to be doing some lights out presentations, but specifically I wanted to talk to about convergence. And, you know, this is, this is kind of your flagship event in Rochester, New York. And, uh, I got to, I got the privilege of going last year and getting to be a part of that. And just some of the quick stuff that was like, here, man, if you're struggling with this, do this. If you're struggling with this, do this. It wasn't like you were sitting there scratching your head, trying to solve this, this riddle, I was just impressed with how quickly and it is, it proved to me, not that I needed it, but it proved to me how much you've seen and how much you've actually considered the things that you've seen so that you can fix things immediately. I mean, within seconds, whether it was the leg under stand up when I was doing some of the yeah. rocking to get up yeah. or yeah. it was, that was the, my favorite moment, by the way, <laughs> or, or it was the hammer when I was doing the Turkish get up and I couldn't, yeah. keep, I couldn't get my left arm straight. It was a, uh, the simple solution was just put a counterbalance back there and fix it, you know, yep. and those kind of, they're not tricks, they're, they're solutions, no. you know, and well, that kind of stuff is just missing in so many people's training and it's missing from people that do remote training. Like I, yeah. I just, I just yeah. encourage the guy to reach out to you guys today. His name's Aaron. Um, and I hope he does, Great. but he's just a really good kid that trains really hard that just, I think with a little bit of tinkering to his stuff and just a little bit of like bumpers on the side of the bowling alley. So he stays in line. Um, yeah. you know, I think could really, really pay dividends for him as an athlete. So I, I, I just see the stuff that you do, the work that you write. And I mean, when you get your first email from you, it's, it's kind of like, man, okay, I've got to swallow this thing and, and, and digest it. But when you look at it, it simplifies things because you can hardly ask a question about it, or at least that's the way I felt. It's like everything is in there. Well, I, I, 
Thank you. And I hope Aaron gets in touch and we, we love that the remote stuff we didn't put out for a very long time because we just didn't want to do it poorly. And the, the, the fact that the things that we know how to adjust aren't tricks um, is real. And, and we're always tinkering and sometimes it is a guess, but it's always a calibrated, educated guess. And it's a micro guess. If it's going to be a macro guess, we're going to experiment in a very closed circuit. It's going to be a focus group. It's not going to be during an active class. Um, but again, I'll, I'll circle back to, to a martial mindset. You know, it's, it's, if in grappling, if you're not thinking two or three moves ahead, you're already two or three moves behind. Yeah. And so when, when it comes to, when it comes to redundancies in strength and conditioning, very simply out of respect for the people that trust me to train them, trust us to train them. I don't want to come up short unless I actually come up short. If I, if I come up on something I don't understand or something that I can't fix, I will tell someone that I don't know how to do that or I can't fix it or we need to go address it a different way. Sure. I'll always have somewhere to send them or something to point them towards. But the reality is I don't want that to occur very often because after doing this as long as I have, I don't think it should. Right. You know, well, I mean, once you've trained thousands of people in, in some unique ways in a bunch of different contexts in 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 both the most well-appointed gyms and the most poorly appointed muddy fucking fields in the world, you, you learn that you have to know what you know and you have to know it quickly and you have to know it accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, those redundancy systems, I think are, are part of the unsung heroes of the process. And even remotely with working with some of these, these people that were just truly, and, and honored is not a word I throw around. Um, some of these people that are, that are applying the training and receiving, you know, the primary email, which is, not many people and no people ever have prior to the last few years. Um, we're honored, we're honored that they trust us. And so I want to make sure that those micro adjustments and, and those, those redundancy systems are so provable that I can put that on them 3000 miles away with a, with a three sentence text message. Sure. And, and to me, to me, that's, that's proof of process. That's, that's proof of, you know, me asking someone to come to Rochester, New York, and pay to hang out with us for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel supreme confidence in that. And, and we don't charge accordingly. I mean, I, I could, I could put a price tag on that. That's, that's more expensive than any certification I've ever seen. And it would be worth it. Sure. It would. But in, instead we put a diminutive price tag on it because I understand that we're still climbing the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want the best people, not the people with the most resources. And, and really like, that's just, that's the long and short of convergence is, is everyone will learn. Um, you know, we don't get the egotistical types that think they know everything because they come there and they get their bubble burst and then they cry in the corner and, and they don't, they don't, they don't want to work alongside the 60 year old guy that's probably outperforming them. Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't want to learn kettlebell lifting from the 130 pound girl that's lifting twice. They are, um, but that doesn't matter because that's not our demographic, you know? And, and part of the way that we've kind of goaded those folks a little bit, because um, one, I don't understand that. If, if you have an opportunity to better the people that you're trusted with training or yourself, why would you not take it? Um, is, is that we say, learn nothing, pay nothing. And, and I truly mean that. If, yeah. if someone could come to that weekend and leave and shake my hand and say, this was a waste of time, <laughs> I'll give them back the entire weekend with interest and, and not even think twice about it. You no, know what I mean, well, I do know what you mean. And, and that's what I've got to say too, is it's like, I, I think 
you could easily be categorized in, in some of the things that I resent about this statement too, is that I don't like when people associate me with something that I'm not. And convergence is not just a strength certi- cert- certification weekend. It's not something no. that is just, no. you know, you're going to sit there and you're going to be sitting down and taking notes only. I mean, this is full on application. This is full on eyes on kind of get through the shit, understand the, the, the nuance of the movements, figure out those little things that can make a, a great movement perfect um, and give you something to strive for as well as the, the concepts and the ideas. And then to, to add into that, being around yourself and Heather and Matt and, and everyone for the weekend, including your members who are walking the walk day in and day out. I mean, I left there revitalized as an athlete, but also like really questioning myself as a coach in a good way. Like I, I needed to step back and be, man, I need to do better because I don't want to, I don't want people to say, man, he's a coach in the same light that they say you're a coach because we're not the same. You're a different caliber. And I do mean that. I mean that very, very sincerely that, um, the level that you do things, I don't think you can appreciate until you're doing those things under your tutelage. So that's, that's my two cent pitch on convergence. I think it's well worth it. Like as Greg said, you will find things that. out there vastly more expensive and far less valuable than what you'll get there. Um, it is a unique bunch of people in that when you walk in there, your estimation of what you're going to get is going to be so far under what you receive. You're not, you couldn't imagine what you're going to get from that weekend, just from the, the hospitality. The food was great last year. Uh, Bridget, you know, cooking everything. Yeah. Casey coming out to cook. Um, yeah, it was, there was just, it was just a really great group of people. And like, I think that it stems from your leadership because there's no bullshit getting thrown into the mix. Um, well, it's, it, I, I appreciate that so much. Some of it I would like to disagree with, but I guess I won't. And, and, it's my uh, show. I appreciate it. I appreciate and, it. And, and realistically, we, we, we always want to put our money where our mouths are. And, and the last point I'll make to that, just because what we did all just say sounds daunting, but the people that take the most out of a weekend like that are the people that are coming in with the least training experience. Mm-hmm. Because when you start out, with very little training experience, but very, very good detail orientation and focus on movement patterns and things like that, your progress curve is expedited so much tremendously. Sure. Um, so, so th- this is, this is not the kind of thing where there's just going to be high level people going over high level details. It's all people going over high level details. And, and the thing about truly high level details is that they apply to Derek Woodski or mm-hmm. Brandon Lilly or, or Bo Sandoval or Tyler Minton or any of these, any of these successful people, as much as they apply to someone who's walking in the door of a training uh, room for the first time. And, and that's, that's one thing that has allowed me to train others as well as, as I try to all the time is having to do that on myself. I've been injured a lot. I've had a lot of physical setbacks and there's no chance that I was ever going to be like, you know, toppled underneath them. Right. Um, so ha- having to, having to problem solve with myself, people who are brand new, some of the highest level people in the world, when you mix it all up, it, it makes for just a tremendous weekend of empowerment. Um, and, and I mean, if you guys have any questions, of course, we're, we're easy to find with that stuff. Um, but, but I guess if I wanted to, if I wanted to put one thing out there to, to finish up, 
is is during all this time of schism and during all this time of challenges that we really don't even have the full scope of yet. If you haven't doubled down on your physicality in some gimmick free ways, like detail orientation ways, um, that can be cathartic in a way that that would be hard to describe unless you've actually done it. So my my recommendation would be if you haven't tried it, uh, that would be a great place to start for for helping yourself keep on track right now. Well, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap this up. I do want to point people in a couple other directions just so that they know. Convergence, uh, Summer Strong, Greg will be speaking. Convergence is his flagship event and in Rochester, New York. Uh, I cannot recommend it enough. I cannot recommend Summer Strong enough for totally different reasons. Um, but more importantly, if you can't get out there, if you're looking for training, if you're looking for very, very, very fucking affordable coaching remotely, reach out to them. They have a great resource there. Heather, Matt, Greg, the whole team. There's a forum. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely valuable for ways beyond the training. And then also, um, Greg recently started up a Patreon. I'm a member of that. I'm a paying member. I'm not, um, I'm not just a guy that was given an access code. I believe in Greg. I believe in the the Wolf Brigade process. So that's out there. Um, all of that is available through their website, wolfbrigadegym.com or is it just wolfbrigade.com? Both. Either is fine. Yeah. And then, uh, Wolf Brigade gym on Instagram is where you can follow Greg and, see what they're up to. The stories are always informative. The posts are always poignant and and well-written. And I think that's one thing for a person like me. Um, you know, I'm the product of the five people I'm around. Like I I believe that. And when I look at your writing, it makes me want to write better. When I look at your training, it makes me want to train better. And I'm I'm lucky to have a a group of people that fit that category, but you're one of the best man. And, um, as always, this was great. I think people. I, I appreciate it. it so much. We 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 just got to keep people upright, man, and we got to do it the hard way, and and that's it. I appreciate it so much. Well, that's another episode, guys. Thank you for listening, Greg. Thank you for being here, and uh, we'll do thank this you. again soon. Thank you. Can't wait. Thank you. Have a great day, guys.